Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. Take this guy's bad numbers. This week on The West Block, systemic racism in policing and in our communities. And we need to maintain the trust and gain more trust in the Canadian citizens, including our Indigenous populations. Systemic racism is an issue right across the country. And COVID-19 and the economy. This government is spending over $500 billion this year. You know that works out to about a million dollars a minute. We have put our money where our mouth is. Systemic racism in Canada and in policing. They're topics that Canadians all across the country have been talking about. Last week, I sat down with the RCMP's commissioner, Brenda Lucky, and I asked her if she believes systemic racism exists in her police force. She said it's something she's struggling with, but does acknowledge that there is an unconscious bias in the force. After that interview, this video came out. This is new video from an RCMP cruiser's dash cam. It shows an officer tackling and then punching Chief Alan Adam as he is being arrested for an expired license plate. Joining me now is Carla Qualtro. She is the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Disability Inclusion. Thank you for joining us, Minister. We're going to start off with something that is not actually a part of your file, and that's the RCMP and policing. We did ask the Prime Minister's office and Minister Blair's office, who is the minister responsible for the RCMP, to come on the show. They said he's not available, so we're putting these questions to you. Uh, you are a human rights lawyer, so you have some familiarity with policing and issues of excessive force. You watched that video of Chief Adams' arrest. What did you think of it? I can't even think of words that are extreme enough to express how sad, how outraged, how deplorable I found that behavior. So if you find that behavior unacceptable, and, and this is not the only video that has come out this week, do you believe that that officer should continue to serve in the RCMP? Well, even more deeply, I believe that we need to really dig in call it what it is, it's racism, it's systemic discrimination within our police force, and do something about it. So how do you think you deal with that when you have the commissioner of the RCMP saying she's not really sure what systemic racism means, she thinks it's more unconscious bias, the RCMP themselves looked at this video and said, we don't see anything wrong with it, this is on the continuum of force. How do you affect change if that's the internal perspective? I don't know. I think we need to dig in. I think, like the Prime Minister said, we can't accept that. We, we have to call this systemic discrimination. I mean, it, it tells me how ingrained culturally this actually is, that, that people can look at it from that perspective and not see the concern that underlines even that attitude. Do you think that means that you need new leadership in the RCMP? I think it'd be premature to say that, but I think we have to look at absolutely the leadership structures, the training people are getting, the system we've put in place. It's all fine and dandy to say things look neutral on the face of it, but they're clearly not. Um, there's clearly a pattern of behavior. There's a culture in the organization that makes it okay to do this and then justify it by saying it's okay to do it. It's unacceptable. Is it time for civilian oversight of the RCMP? It sure might be. I don't know if that's the exact um, way forward, but it's certainly something we need to consider quite strongly, in my opinion. You know, as, as, and also, if the RCMP is doing good work and doing well, it shouldn't at all be threatened by having another layer of oversight. 
There are people inside of the Indigenous community who say that your government has made a lot of promises on reconciliation and ending racism. There are people in the black community who say that you've made promises to fund programs that the money is not flowing on. They're accusing your government of being big on talk about addressing discrimination and systemic racism, but light on action. What do you say to those people? Well, I, I say they're right. We haven't done enough. The Prime Minister has said we haven't done enough. We've, we've, we've not done nothing, but we certainly need to do more. And uh, I hope that what comes out of this past couple of weeks is a renewed commitment to act and a renewed investment in uh, these organizations that support and, and uh, create opportunities for everyone. And then we can really dig in in all of our institutions. You know, it isn't just the RCMP we should be talking about. There's a lot of institutions. I spent my illegal career before this job looking at systemic discrimination, and it's a tough nut to crack because it's not obvious all the time. Let's turn to your file, which, of course, is the CERB and employment. Some employers are saying that they are having trouble getting people to come back to work off the CERB. Are you concerned about that, and are you looking at starting to really walk that program back at this point? Well, I'll answer your second question first. So we're not looking to walk the program back. We're looking to figure out a way to move forward so that we achieve different goals with the program. So, of course, CERB was created when we were asking people to stay home and not work. Now we want people to go back to work. We want them to do it safely. Um, but we need to make sure whatever comes next to support Canadians and workers in particular doesn't disincentivize work. I've heard uh, from employers that, that some people are choosing not to work because of CERB. I don't think the problem's as rampant as some of the more vocal politicians in, in our midst would suggest. I've actually heard from employers who initially thought it would disincentivize work and were delighted to find that people want to work. Canadians generally want to work. We saw, um, you know, there's, there's less people on CERB than there was a month ago. Uh, we created two 190,000 jobs last month, and the vast majority of them were in low-income jobs, so people who probably could have chosen serve instead of this, these new opportunities. I don't think it's as, uh, as systemic, for lack of a better word, as, as people are saying, but it's a concern. But the reality is, regardless, we have 4.5 million people who don't have jobs, so we need to support workers. Minister Qualtro, you introduced a bill, your government, uh, that would have introduced potential prison sentences for people who were caught uh, using the CERB who shouldn't have had it, who are using it fraudulently, fines as well, money for people who have disabilities. That bill didn't make it through because your government wouldn't agree to give Parliament more than one day to talk about it. Why would you only assign one day to talk about something as major as everything from prison sentences to disability payments? First of all, I think we need to unpack that a little bit. So we had agreed with the other parties how we were going to, how things were going to roll out on Wednesday in terms of debating the bill, what that would look like, how many uh, people each party got to put up and make speeches and ask questions. And so the Conservatives, you know, throwing a curveball in in the middle of the day was not expected. Um, Personally, I think when we saw that we couldn't get agreement on the CERB, on the wage subsidy, on the justice bill, and we specifically tried to sever the disability piece, which was very straightforward law that had two sections in it, um, that's when politics took, uh, took hold. And, and I, don't, I don't even understand why we all couldn't have agreed to go back to the drawing board on the other three pieces and just pass this one. That, that was truly unfortunate. Well, Minister Qualtro, unfortunately, that's all the time we have as well. But thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Take care. 
but I've been struggling with the definition of systemic racism. And I, when I think of unconscious bias, there is unconscious bias in the RCMP most definitely. And there is, um, you know, we live in a society where the inequities persist and police are part of that society. And so, yes, we have a responsibility to promote that inclusion and, and make sure we don't have that racism. That was RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky in an interview last week when I asked her about systemic racism within her police force. Late on Friday, she released a statement saying that she now does believe there is systemic racism within the RCMP. For reaction in the change in tune from the RCMP and the issue of systemic racism in Canada, I'm joined by Perry Bellegarde. He is the National Chief for the Assembly of First Nations. Welcome, Chief. Uh, you know, what did you make of the change from what the commissioner said on Wednesday to that statement on Friday? Do, do you think that that's a genuine epiphany? I had her on my podcast Friday morning at 10 a.m. And we had a really intense discussion and dialogue about systemic racism and overt racism and excessive use of police force in the RCMP. And uh, so she she went that afternoon and changed her mind and her opinion. So I'm glad we had that really intense dialogue because in order to deal with systemic racism, the first thing you need to do is admit that it exists. And then you start working from there in terms of what can be done to address it. What about that dialogue that you have do you think was the turning point that changed her mind? I think, again, to deal with racism or, or excessive use of police force, you have to be uh, very upfront and have an honest dialogue about it. And uh, we shared some, uh, some, some very intense questions and, and what can be done to address it. And again, if you want to deal with systemic racism you need systemic change and so we talked about you, you can't you can't look at and say there is no racism or discrimination in the rcmp when you look at uh the, the the amount of statistics and the studies that have been done so i made the point that we should be past that dialogue or even question whether or not there is racism and we should start putting our energies on how do we fix it and how do we address it to make sure that these people that are sworn to protect and serve they're not sworn to assault and kill. And so like we need to get back to how do they do best community policing uh, for First Nations people. And so we wanted to spend some time and energy on that piece. Chief, what did you think when you saw, and there's been more than one video, but the most recent video of Chief Adams' arrest? Again, the, the excessive use of force in the takedown. Again, the, the, the policy, we're going to keep pushing for that transparent open investigation. And I believe that excessive use of force, there should be a zero tolerance policy within the RCMP. And that's when you, when you look at it, it's terrible, it's horrible, the takedown that happened. There was no de-escalation. There was no trying to talk things through. There was a straight out assault and attack. And that's what's really disheartening and alarming. That happens too much, too fast, too often. And that's what we need to start looking at. And uh, that's where we need to start putting our energies. This needs to stop. What did you think of the RCMP's initial response? Because they said, look, investigators looked at it. They determined that the actions the police took were within the continuum of the use of force, that there had been, the chief had gotten out of the truck a couple of times previously, uh, that there appeared to be him taking an aggressive stance at one point, and therefore this was all justified. Well, again, I think there needs to be a greater focus and a greater energy on proper training on how to de-escalate a situation. How do you deal with people you know, that are in that situation with mental health issues or, or substance abuse issues? There's gotta be a greater focus on that piece. And then as well, it's gotta be linked into policies and procedures. You know, the, 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 whole, the whole point is de-escalation, not, not 
escalate it by straight assaulting and, 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 and hurting people. That's not the way to deal with these things. It happens too much, too far, too often. And that's what we've got to start addressing. The government has said that they're committed to change, but there's not a lot of hard commitments in terms of timelines or exactly what they're going to do beyond body cameras. What kind of change do you think there needs to be in the RCMP to have the right training, the right leadership, the right accountability, the right transparency on this issue? Well, you know, Mercedes, I've always said that complacency is killing our people. There's been so many studies already. The Justice Inquiry in Manitoba, to the Justice Inquiry in Saskatchewan, to the Missing Emergent Dish Women and Girls, implement the recommendations therein. You know, everything from the use of body cams, which will help with transparency and openness, further training on de-escalation, getting more First Nations in positions of power and authority, more First Nations commanding officers, more First Nations pe people on civilian uh, oversight committees. Uh, there's a range of things that can happen. Uh, but it, it, it even begins with how do you police people that have been traumatized from genocide and dispossession of land and, and racism. You have to have specific training on that as well. So building trust between police and First Nations people, how do you begin to do that? So there's a whole range of things. We've got to start re refocusing our energy and resources to do a better job. Community-based policing, uh, establishing peace officers. You know, there's a great model at Kwanlin Dunn. Chief Doris Bill has done a great job. Uh, by establishing peace authors. So there's a range of things. We need to begin those dialogue and discussions sooner than later. Would you like to see the RCMP pulled out of some indigenous communities and replaced with indigenous forces or some of the money that's going to policing now going to social programs for Canada's indigenous population? Well, that's part of the answer, dealing with the social determinants of, of health, you know, uh, better education and housing and employment and training, all those things, uh, putting more of the resources, maybe soon, not so much in, in militarizing the police, but putting more resources in dealing with some of the systemic problems of dealing with and addressing poverty and substance abuse, that's part of it. I think the, the whole dialogue has to happen how you bring uh, getting First Nation people involved in the design, development, implementation of policy, even in the sense of having police seen as an essential service. Right now, it's not seen as an essential service. And, and so that's you got to begin there and then start designing the program so it meets meets the needs of the First Nations people, culturally-based, competency-based, all those things have to be looked at going forward. Chief Belgard, thank you so much for joining us today on this important discussion, and we will be in touch with you again, I'm sure, on this in the future very soon. Thanks for the opportunity, Mercedes. No deal. The opposition would not agree to a bill that the Liberal government wanted to put in front of Parliament that would have introduced fines and jail time for fraudulent claims of people who are claiming the CERB. If the bill doesn't pass this week coming up, how does that affect those who are receiving the CERB and those who are depending on extra money for disabilities that is also included in that bill? Joining me now to talk about this is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Finance, Sean Fraser, and Finance critic for the Conservative Party, Pierre Polyev. Sean, let's start with you. Uh, this is a bit of a kitchen sink bill. Everything from fines and jail time to disability payments. And your government wanted to give MPs one day to debate that. Does that seem reasonable to you? Uh, well, look, thanks very much for the question. Uh, what I think uh, Canadians will appreciate is that we are in extraordinary circumstances as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. From day one, uh, we've been receptive to feedback from different parties and different stakeholders across Canada and recognizes that we needed to make changes to some of the programs that we rolled out after they were announced. This does require, in an emergency situation, to have short turnarounds 
Uh, so we can fix the uh, very real uh, gaps that people are falling through to make sure that doesn't happen. With respect those, to the, are those turnarounds it, so short, Sean, that, it, that one day? Uh, so to be clear, there's uh, the opportunity to debate and discuss this in the public forum is not limited to what happens on Wednesday in our new hybrid parliament, but can also be subjected to questions during other virtual parliamentary sittings and certainly during the eight hours a week, which Pierre and I sit on the Finance Committee for. Uh, in addition, the Prime Minister is providing daily updates so Canadians appreciate the, uh, the goings-on of government in this abnormal set of circumstances. And uh, for a person living with a disability who's waiting on additional support to help offset the economic consequences of this pandemic, this is an emergency and we will do whatever it takes to support vulnerable Canadians during their time of need. Pierre, your party has some accountability to answer here too for Canadians who are watching. You have been saying for months that you were worried about people taking advantage of the CERB, that there needed to be more consequences. You finally get this opportunity and we were talking to Minister Qualtro earlier on the show. She said all the parties were aligned, the Conservatives had agreed to the terms the Liberals had here and then you suddenly changed your minds. Why did you do that? That's not accurate. We've been consistent from the very beginning. Uh, we want Parliament back. The, it's important that the government gets the what right, but it's also important that we get the how right. Canada has a parliamentary system with 800 years of durable history. It works. The process of decision-making in Canada's House of Commons and indeed in Houses of Parliament all around the Commonwealth has led to the highest quality of life anywhere in the world. And we understood that we needed to take a departure from that normal process in order to get us through the extraordinary first few weeks and months of COVID-19. But that's no longer the case. Uh, the Prime Minister has demonstrated through his own actions, through now repeated public photo ops, in addition to his decision to travel across interprovincial borders unnecessarily, that it is possible for people to meet and gather safely in order to do their work. In fact, we are asking the people who work in grocery stores, janitors, construction workers on Parliament Hill to do their work often in much closer proximity than would be required for Parliament. And yet the Prime Minister thinks that they should be allowed to, they should be required to do their jobs while he is not required to do his. Well, their lives are just as, just as precious as his and mine. We have a duty to do, let's open Parliament and do it right. Sean, your government was very critical, or pardon me, your party, they were in government then, was very critical of the Harper government for proroguing Parliament, for putting together omnibus bills. You've been doing precisely the same thing. And when we look at the number of days that Parliament has sat over almost the last year, it's 38 of them. Some Canadians are saying, where's the accountability in this? With great respect, there is an enormous difference between the uh, twice prorogued parliament under Stephen Harper that was designed to avoid difficult questions and a government that did not prorogue once during the 42nd parliament and is now dealing with an emergency situation the likes of which we have not seen in a century. Uh, the reality is we're not afraid of accountability. Uh, the fact is, as somebody who's been taking part in parliament virtually from the kitchen table, yeah, it's a bit clumsy, like a lot of other things in society right now, but it's actually working. The quality of the questions and answers are seemingly no different to me as someone who's taking part in it from home as they were when I could be in the chamber. 
Do I wish I could be on the floor of the House of Commons next to my colleagues having this debate in the ordinary way? Of course, but there are a number of things that I wish were true about society in a pandemic that are simply not the case. The fact is we are finding solutions to problems as the problems emerge, and I'm finding that the hybrid parliament situation with committee support has actually provided an ability to discuss and debate the ideas of the government of the day in a meaningful way, and I don't believe that Canadians' ability to oversee the operations of their government has suffered as a result. Pierre, one of the big concerns with this bill having not been able to be introduced and passed in the way that Liberals wanted is that Canadians who have disabilities may now not get their payment, that $600 one-time payment. Is your party willing to hive that off and deal with it separately if the Liberals bring just that forward? Well, we could deal with all of it very quickly through a parliamentary process. Remember, uh, countries have been capable of fighting world wars while their House of Commons have been in process. There are ways to expedite passage of benefits and other urgent actions right within the parliamentary structure. And we've told the government we're happy to do that. So open parliament, bring your bill forward. We'll have some debate on the floor. We'll have a quick committee conversation to review and make sure that the bill does what the government claims it does. And uh, then the, the House of Commons and soon after that, the Senate can pass it. All of that can happen very quickly. We're simply asking the Prime Minister to get back to work, be accountable, respect the Parliament Canadians elected and do his job. Sean, are you worried that this may be the end of opposition support? I mean, you know the Conservatives have not backed you on, on many things, but the NDP has and the BQ has. Now that alliance and coalition seems to be fracturing. Uh, look, this is not the kind of thing that I'm going to worry about. It's the kind of thing that I'm going to reach out to my colleagues from different parties over and discuss to see if we can help negotiate a resolution. The previous question that you put to Mr. Poiliev just now uh, asked simply if he would be willing to hive off support for Canadians with disabilities to deal with that in an emergency situation. The only acceptable answer to that question in my mind is yes, but the Conservatives seem to take a different approach. I do not think the solution is to bring 338 members of Parliament back together in a crowded room by the way, no one my does. colleague, Sarah, is, sits within arm's reach of me, who herself was actually diagnosed with COVID-19. The kind of thing that's being proposed right now is to carry on with a mixed, uh, a hybrid parliament that allows us to put forward ideas that can be adopted into Canadian law so vulnerable Canadians can be supported during an emergency. And I don't understand how any member of parliament from any party could not support that kind of an approach. Pierre, we just have a few moments left, but the Conservative debate is coming up for the leadership competition this week. You were looking at getting involved in that. You pulled out at the last minute. Any regrets that you're not going to be on the stage? I think we got a good cast, actually. It's been a good debate. Uh, they've got another couple months uh, to thrash out uh, their policy ideas, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Uh, so far, uh, there have been a a strong performance from numerous of the can uh, candidates. I haven't decided uh, to endorse anyone, but I'll be like many conservatives watching with increasing uh, scrutiny as we get closer to the voting time. Okay, Sean and Pierre, thank you both very much for joining us. A pleasure as always. Thank Great you. to be with you. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.